Hello everybody, welcome to JJ's Album Club. I'm Joey Page, he's Jimmy Farrowa, we interview people about albums that they love. Is that it? Yes. <laughs> I think that's it. That's the quickest you've done it. Hello mate, how are you? Yeah, we saw each other yesterday from a safe distance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm one of the really best nice. burgers I've ever had in my life. We had a really good burger by a canal, which is what passes for fun uh, in our plague <laughs> in our plague winter. We, we were <laughs> magnet fishing. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was good. It was fun. And yeah, oh, let's go straight to the music thing, because you mentioned a couple of tracks last week, and... At your prompting, because I'd completely forgotten, I actually listened mm-hmm. to them. And, ooh, La Femme, Cool Colorado. I told you, mate. Really good. Absolute stormer. I loved that. Quite yeah. liked the other one, uh, Chris Forsyth, All Time Present, Nine Minutes of... Um, it sounded quite Kurt Vile to me, a little bit. It, it, sort to of me, like it was a, a bit more like... Um... Like Springsteen-y almost. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess, guitar. I guess Kurt Vile yeah. has got that sort of running through yeah, his yeah, veins, sure. hasn't he? Your old pal Kurt, yeah. friend oh, of the pod, although he's not been on it yet. What's that yeah. space? What's this space? Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, oh my God, what else do we? What else do we talk about in these things? Um, I, I, um, well, I, I enjoyed what you sent me, Widow's Peak. Yes. Yeah. Plum. Yeah. It's, it's really nice, that, isn't it? Go on, I, you tell I, me what you think. I mean this in a nice way. <laughs> and also, okay. here comes my segue to talk about my Twitch channel. Are you ready? Uh, you I said channel? this on my Twitch channel about something else. <laughs> I've got a Twitch channel. Uh, that it's it's good music to do admin to. And I mean yeah. that in a nice one. No, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's great for tidying the flat too. Yeah, Plum yeah, yeah. by Widow's yeah. Peak. I'm always, I'm always on the hunt for those. And I know what you mean. It sounds like you're damning something with faint praise. But I think there is something nice about things that are quite ambient and like unobtrusive. And it's it's not boring. There's interesting stuff going on. But it is kind of quite nicely. It locks into its own sort of mellowness, which is quite nice to just have. Because I can't, I can't listen to stuff. Like even like, you know, Sleaford Mods. Friend of the pods. Um, I can't... Free sleeve of pods. Um, there, was a, there was a rhyme there just waiting for me, but I just didn't have the energy to fully attack it. But anyway, I can't really listen to them while I'm doing work because it's just too... I need to sort of lock in and like engage with it. I could, and also yeah. with two young kids running around. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is very true. Um... But yeah, no, uh, thank you for those. I'm I'm all over, um, particularly uh, La Femme. I'm just, uh, yeah, it's a good album, even though most of it's in French. And I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, lyrically, always uh, always oh, the danger also, there that they're like saying some like really questionable, objectionable things. <laughs> Imagine if like you were really into it, and it was all like vaccine misinformation and like uh, terrible <laughs> crackpot theories. <laughs> You know, I love these guys, so sophisticated and sexy, and it was like, yeah, yeah. really outrageous. But they don't wear masks. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I've uh, also, on that Plum album by Widow's Peak, yeah, I yeah. should say, the song The Good Ones is so Which good, the second that? song. Oh, yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. they're great, yeah. really love yeah. them. 
Um, right. Speaking of uh, things that we uh, really love, today's <laughs> guest. That worked brilliantly, didn't it? What a link. What a link. Seamless. So smooth. Buttery smooth. Here we go. I'll do another one. Um, so, Plum, Widow's Peak. It's <laughs> a great start. No, hang on. I've got it. Widow's Peak. <laughs> uh, we're talking about the uh, benefits of something being ambient, melting, melting into the background. But somebody that does not melt into the background is our guest on this week's episode <clears throat> what i would have done nailed it mine would have been. go on speaking of plum someone <laughs> that ain't a plum it's eddie pillar <laughs> it is indeed eddie pillar um uh so hard to somebody that's quite hard to describe in a snappy way because he's done so much but best known as so much founder of the acid jazz label um a he, he entertainingly recounts how he came to become this authority on all things mod, how he started his own labels, how he started his own mod fanzines, um, his work with Six Music. I absolutely love him. Yeah, uh, Six Music he was on. Yeah. Uh, Radio 2. Him and Giles, him and Giles Peterson. Um, yeah, he's got, um, he's got his own satellite radio uh, station now, which I'm a huge fan of. It's been like a real lockdown companion for me, a yeah. totally wired radio. Um, yeah. Just a, Give that a big plug. Absolute. Totally wired radio. Hugely knowledgeable music fan. Um, great, sort of uh, funny, cantankerous geezer, <laughs> basically, like in a really Very lovely well way. Dressed. Incredibly well dressed. He's done some amazing. Um, a really connected uh, character and uh, former club owner as well of one of the uh, hottest uh, club nights um, in, you know, in sort of London history, in modern history. An absolute dude. The Blue Note, of course. Um, Yeah, but he was great. He was lots of fun. Uh, and... and also, probably some of the best stories we've ever had on this podcast. I said last week at the end of everything, everything. Very, very uh, good. That the best story ever is in here. But having listened back to it again, there's actually so many really good stories yeah, yeah, in this yeah, podcast. Yeah, so... he's 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 an absolute master. It was a joy to to chat to him. It was a real laugh, and he, yeah, he connects in a lovely way to to a time that I think we're both really fascinated by and kind of mm. the, the sort of a, a pre-internet age of, of music discovery and scenes and subcultures and kind of, you know, making connections with people and that kind of turning into little interesting little pockets of, you know, like he's got so many great, amazing, scarcely believable things that have happened to him. And uh, he's he's a really good sort of tour guide of that time. And his album choice is is a really great one as well. And he's got a kind of, um, uh, unlike a lot of people, he's got like a real personal relationship with the person who um, yeah yeah whose album he he chooses. And there's a, there's an intriguing bit of a bit of a frisson there, isn't there? Um, yeah. Which which is a nice kind of new dimensions have to uh the whole thing so yeah loved it really great yeah really great mm. uh can't wait for you guys to hear it uh if you like it please give it a like a rate a subscribe tell your friends uh get your old 
grandmother's phone, download it on there, even if she's not going to listen to it. I don't care. Just tell people about it if you like it. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, also, say hello to us on social media if you like. Yeah. Uh, we're not that hard to find. Yeah. I'm at the Joey Page on Twitter and Joey Page Comedy on Instagram. Jimmy, where are you? I am at Jim Fam on Twitter and at Jim Famished. At Jim Famished on the gram. Pon the gram, as they say. And I'm not on TikTok. Are you on TikTok, Joe? I have got an account, but I at the beginning of the lockdown, I started making some videos and then I stopped. Oh, yes, you did. My, my you wife have. got like uh, something silly, like half a million views on one of their videos mm. and it didn't change our lives in the slightest. So I thought, ah, oh, <laughs> like this. Completed it. And yeah. it didn't do anything. And, um, and the truck with the money didn't pull up outside our house as I thought it might. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't even get yeah. sponsored by Cause Light. <laughs> just anyway, just just another absolute shameless mention. I'd love it if you know a, a Cause Light truck was pulling up next time. Uh, next time we were speaking, and then it drove away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We found our guy. Yeah. You know what's really right. great about it? It's, it's oh only 4%. god, he's still Let's talking go. about go. cause light. <laughs> Here we go, guys. And uh, do you know somebody who isn't light? Is <laughs> I was trying to do a terrible. Someone segue. whose stories make you go, "Cause <laughs> it's Eddie Pillar." <laughs> Here we go. Enjoy. JJ's album club. It's Mr. Eddie Pillar. Welcome to JJ's Album Club. Thanks, chaps. Lovely to be here. Actually, How are you doing? I, well, I'm fine, but <laughs> but you got to understand. Normally, I just sit in a pub all day, and I can't do that anymore. So I've got plenty of time to talk to you. So let's not worry about that. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. So, um, we'll, we'll get cracking. Um, where would you say, Eddie, that your love of music? originated from like what was going on uh upbringing wise what was you listening to or what were you being forced to listen to by older siblings or parents uh, stuff like that tell us well how it all started for you it's it's weird because i'm a son of an east end bookmaker and my mother uh my mum and dad had a shop and a flat next door to uh, the, the pub that was owned by the small faces mum and dad in um in uh, High Street, North East Ham. And so my mother was asked to, to run the Small Faces fan club, as you would, as they started kind of oh, having wow. success. So my mum did that for a few years, um, but I knew nothing of that until I became a young punk kid listening to punk rock and the jam. And then the jam made me a mod. And then my dad said, oh, did you know your mum did this? And I went, what? You, why didn't you tell me before now? It's like, I'm, I'm 16. I've been a mod for a year and a half, and I discovered my mum ran the fan club of the most important mod band of all time. Thanks, Dad. Anyway, so that's... My love of music came, came into hearing hearing the Saints and the Jam, basically, two fabulous bands that I, I heard when I was 14, probably on John Peel. Yeah, right. And, and, and how lucky to have something like that to, uh, to tune your ears, like the Jam. But... Um, what about so how did that change your relationship with your mum did you all of a sudden like go like from uh, being your mum to being like <laughs> oh my god this is amazing 
Um, I was, well, from that point on, I was always trying to pump up stories about being a mod in the 60s because the mods, my generation of mods that came around in late 78, early 79 initially, knew nothing about mods in the 60s. It was just, we didn't want to be punks. And, you know, we followed yeah. the jam and the jam were mods, so we became mods. But we didn't know what mods actually did. We didn't know what they liked. We just knew that we weren't punks. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask... Eddie, you mentioned becoming a mod. What did that entail for you? Because, like, you know, it holds real fascination for people of mine and Joe's generation. Like, what did? How did you go about? What was the mod? What was the? What was the mod process? Well, like, it, how, how it you... was basic with me. It, it's bizarre because I was on my way back on the tube train. I'm fifteen, just fifteen years old. And I'm writing on the tube train because people used to write on the carriage with graf- graffiti quite a lot, and I was writing. Mm. SLF, Stiff Little Fingers. I'd just come out of a Stiff Little Fingers gig and there was a guy taller than me. He looked incredible. He had a pair of mirror shades on, a, a, a US Army Parker, a shiny tonic jacket, which looked two colours in, in the light, you know, like depending yeah. on which way it was. It was, and this was, I didn't know any of this shit. And he had a Target t shirt on and he said, Can I borrow your pen, please? And it, he wrote mods on the tube train door. And I went, mods, I've heard of that, mods, what's mods? And bear in mind, I didn't know about my mum at the time. So I got yeah. to, I asked him and he said, and like mods at that time in late 78, there was only a hundred in London. And, and this guy had been to see Stiff Little Things and said, look, you know, we're like punks, but we're not punks. And there's this band playing next week come down and you can see what mods are like so I went there was about 25 people in this room above a pub in Plumstead in uh, in South East London oh, wow. and um, yeah. this band oh, was primary playing. school in Plumstead well there you well, go the yeah. green man it was if you remember <laughs> oh, the green wow. man yeah ah. and I opened the doors to walk into this pub and there was 25 people there and I suddenly thought I'm home you know like the band played <laughs> they were like the jam but two years young they were the same mate they were 16 years old and I was 14 maybe 15 so I just thought that's it so the next day I went down the um, East Ham Army and Navy store bought myself a Parker Um, I got a couple of button down shirts out of my dad's wardrobe in those days mods were big on hush puppies and so from that point on I I became a mod and I spent my ho- I found a diary yeah. from yeah. 1979 in about May I found this three weeks ago so I, I found a, uh, a, a it was a calendar of what I did in, in May 1979 and I went to the Marquee Club in Wardour Street six times I went to the Greyhound in Fulham Palace Road I went to Ilford Town Hall and I went to the Whiskey A Go Go in uh, Wardour Street and I was 15 years old you know, so wow. yeah, <laughs> uh, you could you didn't need ID. You didn't. No one ever said, "How old are no. you, son?" You know, it was a different world. And so, yeah. in those days, it was yeah. only twenty minutes from Woodford on the Central Line to get to the West End mm. and see these bands. So that it became yeah. all encompassing. I had a Saturday job and a holiday job, and all my money was used buying records, fanzines, and going to mod gigs. And to get into the marquee was fifty p. You know, so and I was earning thirty eight <laughs> yeah. pounds a week take home, you know, in a in a clothes shop called Mr. Byright. And uh that was it. It became my life. Yeah. Um I was gonna ask Eddie, at one at what point did it switch from you being a fan of this stuff and immersing yourself in this in this culture and starting a career in it and sort of you, you started kind of setting up labels and fanzines mm. from quite a relatively 
young age and I, I, I read a story about you and Edwin Starr which uh, <laughs> that was my first that. job could... yeah so talk us through that at what point okay. did, what, what, when did you make the switch because well, a lot of people would love to do that but you know it's well at school I started a fanzine I started a fanzine I, I was inspired by fanzines I had a book published last year on Omnibus called Modzines about mod fanzines and I've just finished one oh, which amazing. is coming out in March called punk zines about punk fanzines so I was obsessed by fanzines and they encouraged me to look for a different way of life so I left school before I took my O levels um, and I, I was desperate to work in a record label now my mates mum and dad managed the who and she arranged for me to have a couple of office boy the who's built Jackie Kirby was her name and she was yeah Alan Kirbisley's because uh, I'm a Charlton fan I know that well, yeah, there you yeah, go yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well so okay so um, uh, they got me a couple of interviews at Polydor but I didn't get the job and then she told me something very very useful she said there's a, what we used to have in, in the late 70s was something called labour exchanges right so a labour exchange was like a job centre. They'd put a card up on the wall. You'd take the card. You'd take it to the to the clerk. You'd he'd phone up the place. They'd send you round. So that's how it worked. So anyway, I couldn't find it. I couldn't get a job in a record company. I was too young, probably. Anyway, so Jackie Kirby said to me, you know, she was one of my mum's friends, and she said, Edward, I've got to tell you, there's a, a Wardour, there's a job centre, labour exchange in Wardour Street. That's where all the record companies advertise for their runners. So, you know, your office junior jobs, oh, yeah. your motorcycle messenger. So I, I was kind of 16. I had myself a little scooter and I couldn't get a job. So mm -hmm. anyway, one night on the way back from a Purple Hearts gig at Notre Dame Hall in Leicester Square, I met this kid called Paolo. And he, I said, what do you do for a job? He goes, I work in the Labour Exchange in Wardour Street. I went, oh, right. Can you do me a favour? <laughs> so I gave him a fiver. I said, here's my phone number. If any record company jobs come up for a junior, give me a call. Now, obviously, I thought this is quite a lot of money, a fiver, when you're earning 35 quid a week. <laughs> and uh, yeah. six weeks later, he phoned me up. I couldn't believe it. My mum, I get him from work. My mum goes... Uh, uh, yeah, you've had this message from someone called Paolo, as if we couldn't know an Italian, you know. But obviously, he wasn't Italian. He's in, <laughs> from Soho. So, so um, I I go and see him in the labour exchange. He goes, yeah, here's the card. I, it, no one's seen it. You're the only one who's seen it. Thanks a lot for the fiver. So I phone up this place, and the bloke goes, yeah, come in for an interview. We, uh, no one, no one wants the job. So I go in for the interview. Of course, no one's seen the card. <laughs> And I get the job, and I become a motorcycle messenger on my Lambretta for this record company. I'm just 17. I pass my test on my bike and my car pretty immediately. Um, and I'm mm. there for six months. And then the boss comes in. He goes, uh, can you drive a car? I goes, yeah, why? He goes, uh, because you're Edwin Starr's tour driver. And he chucks me the keys to this <laughs> rented Ford, that, like a Cortina or something, that's downstairs. And he goes, right, be in Leeds tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock. I'm like, what? <laughs> so that was my introduction to, to to the Northern Soul scene. You know, it was different from the mod scene in yeah. London. They all yeah, wore flares. Yeah, they yeah. wore flares in 1980. You know, it's like, what's yeah. that about? <laughs> so anyway, so yeah. I drove Edwin Starr about and that just convinced me this is my way of life forever. I saw these guys yeah. having a thousand people on the dance floor and I thought, I'm going to be yeah. a DJ. I'm going to make records. Yeah. I'm going to do my fanzine more professional. You know, so that's what I did. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. And Brian where do you think that drive, just there, Eddie, you mentioned three things in 
in a breath. I want to do a fanzine, I want a DJ, I want a record label. Where does that have come from, do you think, in Work, you to, Working class East A lot of people would just be like, I like this, I'm going to be a, I want to be in a band, or I just want to do one thing, but you've gone, bosh, I'm doing a lot. Well, I, I couldn't really play an instrument. I'd played the saxophone as a hobby for a long time, but I, I knew I wasn't good enough to be professional. So, but I wanted to work in music. So everyone who wants to work in music wants to secretly do A&R. But they don't go around saying, A&R, by the way, for people who don't know, is choosing bands, mm. getting their songs, making the records, and presenting the records to marketing to sell. But they don't let you do A&R until you know what you're doing. You have to start doing mm. the shit, sweeping up, delivering letters, you know, <laughs> phoning radio stations, all that kind of stuff. So, but I always wanted to do A&R and I knew I'm not experienced enough to do A&R anywhere yet. So I'm going to have to do it myself. So at 18, I set up my first independent record label by uh, looking at an advert. advert. I was still at working at my original company with Edwin Starr, Avatar Records they were called. Um, they were really successful. Independent labels were massively successful in those days. People forget they all got bought up by majors and closed mm. down. But, but um, one day my boss calls me in and goes, "Ed, I'm afraid you've outstayed your welcome." I said, "Why?" He goes, "Because look at this two-page interview with you in the Daily Mirror today. You're our press officer, <laughs> and you're being interviewed about yourself and your own record label that you're running from home. It's like, sorry, you've gone too far this time. You're going to have to pack your bag. So so I was left with nothing else. So I opened up a record store in Kensington Market, um, and our first customer was the Radio 1 DJ Mike Reed. And um, so I ran this record store with a mate of mine called Aaron. I ran my fanzine. I started DJing, managing bands, and set up my first label. And this was all, I suppose I was 18 at the time. And I realized that I never wanted to work for anyone else in my life. I had one other job where I worked for um, MCA Records. And I had my own office and my own secretary. I was 19. And... Uh, you know, I, I was yeah. on the I was on the fast track, having a secretary that was fifteen years older than me. It was like quite exciting. And then I come in from lunch one day, and I heard her on the phone talking about me to the boss upstairs, and she was saying, "And he's taken three private calls and two calls about his band that he manages." And he said, "So I just walked in and I said, right, fuck you lot, I'm off.' And that, that was it. I've never worked for anyone. I've been a consultant for lots of people, but I've never had a PAYE job again because." Yeah. Why give them your brains? Because they don't know what they're doing, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty good philosophy. Good yeah. Um, as as somebody who has had their own fanzine and then somebody who copied their mate who had a fanzine <laughs> to start one, the first person being Jimmy, the second one being me, uh, a bit fascinated by fanzines. So why do you think they don't exist now? Because I feel like now's the perfect time for them to still exist, but... I know obviously everything's on the internet now and you get blogs and whatever, but why do you think that fanzines don't have a place in modern music? Well, I've just spent about three years living everything about fanzines and interviewing everybody about fanzines in this country. And, you know, I think their day is done for, si for the simple reason that people don't give a fuck about music anymore, okay? Now, <laughs> in those days... Music was enormous. Every single kid, I'd say 60% of kids, loved jazz, funk, soul, punk, rockabilly, you know, reggae, everything. Everybody was into music. Now, people aren't into music. And it was summed up to me the other day. Someone put on Facebook about these kids in Ibiza. Ibiza, the home of rave culture, as we all know, because <laughs> I was there at the time. Yeah. But 
basically what it was is a DJ playing off a memory stick with a load of young teenagers filming themselves with their arms in the air walking around looking at the DJ and I just thought mate our world is done so nobody cares about music but also the internet has made you must understand the difference you're young people right but when I was into soul or jazz or whatever you'd spend days on your knees in a dirty warehouse or a record shop basement going through boxes of stuff you'd fly to Germany to look in record shops you'd fly to America to spend a week buying records and shipping back 500 records whatever now you go on Discogs or eBay and you can find the record you want to be a mod hey there's a website to make you a mod you know in those days everybody had to, to learn and fight for it now nobody has to fight for anything so it's valueless if you don't have to fight for it who gives a fuck yeah yeah. That's why. That's why yeah, fans are. Yeah, it's a fair point. And <laughs> I think I think there's also something to be said for like the energy of fanzines and kind of the, there has been, you know, a little bit of zine culture kind of bouncing around, and you do see it here and there, and that's maybe been absorbed into the mainstream a little bit more. And I think you're right that like um, music hasn't got music hasn't got that kind of central, you know, identity in that kind of way and subculture that feeling of going to a gig and people being dressed all the same and you're outside that was the only way to find those people like you know and find that kind of community and like sense of like well that that belonging. was that was killed by acid house and there's no doubt about it that mm. things were becoming very predictable acid house came and it was like year zero you know like it was like punk mm. punk just virtually replaced everything that went before and acid house was the same but one of the casualties that i missed the most was the structured youth culture that was in place before that because people utilised it. It allowed young men and women who were maybe teenagers coming out of their teenage life to be part of a group and discover their own identity while still, you know, maintaining their cultural interests. And I think that was the biggest casualty of Acid House. And I think post-Acid House... You know, but there's always, don't get me wrong, there's always been crap pop music, you know, from Scylla Black, <laughs> you know, to, to Boney M, to, you know, all the way through uh, history. There's The mainstream has always been rubbish. But the fact is, it's, unless you're very underground now, you know, it's very difficult to find culturally worthwhile things. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Um, and that sounds with, like an with, old man raging against the dying of the light, which to an extent no, it is. No, but it, no. it, that's, that's kind of why we're here. And it's kind of like how I've, I, even though I'm from a different time, it's something I've always wanted. Like um, I was saying just before we started recording that um, I bumped into you, Eddie, in Hamburg. That's and right. the only reason I'd gone there, the only reason I'd gone there for the weekend was to go to a place called the Comic Club because uh, when I was doing a gig in Hamburg a year before, I'd seen this place that was like an oasis that I didn't felt really existed anywhere and I wanted to show it to my wife because I was like, this place makes me feel like that's where I should be except it's one club down a horrible little shitty back road (laughs) in a bit of Hamburg that runs once a month. (laughs) And yet, you went there. Yeah, exactly. Because I want that feeling of, you know, all those things that you described that don't really exist anymore. Well, well, yeah, I'm... It's good to get onto nightlife because I wanted to ask you, Eddie, about obviously Joe mentioned in the intro running the club and uh, Blue Note, and that was a big part of 
Acid Jazz, the label, and it seems like it's been a big part of your story right from kind of discovering that place in Plumstead, that it's kind of the two have been connected. It's been a crazy time for, for nightlife and it's, you know, I fear for like it even kind of emerging in any sense, but I wondered what were your memories of, of running the club? What were some of the funniest stories of, of, of I'll like tell you, I'll being tell you at a, the heart of it? I'll tell you a funny story, right? So the Blue Note used to not let people go to the front of the queue, right? We didn't have a dress code, but we didn't have a liggers yeah. list, you know? If you want to get in, and it was every night it was sold yeah, out. Yeah, Seven yeah. nights a week it was sold out, yeah. and there'd be a 200-people wow. queue, one in, one out, from about... Yeah, half yeah, 11 yeah. 12 o'clock oh, so I'm in my office one day and the head of security's come upstairs and he's gone uh, mate mate there's someone in the queue you, you've got to let them in and I said no fuck that they can queue up like everyone else he goes look I really think you should come downstairs so alright okay so I go downstairs and on the steps right of the club is um, Damon Hill the current world Formula 1 champion and Barry Sheen my teenage <laughs> hero who was the superbike number 1 in the world and I've gone oh god okay you're right so I've guys come in I'm really sorry you had to wait you know come in come to the bar the girls will look after you so I've got a little bit of pride those two two of my heroes have come at my club and the security's gone what, yeah, the, what, the, what the fuck are you doing I said what do you mean he goes well who, who are them and I went well you know you said that he went no not them you idiot him it's fucking David Bowie in the queue <laughs> and, and I've gone oh right okay sorry so I go down David Bowie's with Imam and I go um, look would you like to come in he goes no I'm cool I said, what do you mean? He goes, no, I'm cool waiting. It's fine. I've been 20 minutes. It's all right. Everyone's nice in the queue. I'm in in five minutes. Don't worry about it. That is cool. That is really cool. Oh, that's incredible. That's not how you this entire podcast. <laughs> I love that. Damon Hill and like, Barry Shade. And there's Bowie and Imam, like, kind of just hanging out. Just queue. behind them in the queue as well. Just it's behind like- them. And you the sec- were just dazzled by course, the uh, the security by the Formula One driver and the, the security not knowing who the fuck the Formula One driver and the superbike mm. rider are had no idea who they were. He meant <laughs> anyway. So that's the yeah. funniest. That's one of the funniest things. But I had a hundred things. The thing I'm most proud of. Yeah was that there was a debate after a while. The Blue Note became the most successful club in the world culturally, mm. and I'm not lying and the yeah. reason I what know what sort this, of period is this what kind of era is this 95 96 so 95 yeah. probably so I I get in from the club about 3 in the morning and it's quite late and you know I'm still buzzing so I turn the telly on and there's there's a guy in the Sky News but, but all night news is a new phenomenon at this time so I'm quite mm. surprised there's a guy talking about the cultural capital of the world. And he's got a journalist from New York and a journalist from London. And and the guy goes, uh, uh, you know, so it seems to me that uh, New York has been surpassed by London. Everyone's talking about London. London's the place. We've changed the world here in London. And uh, the guy goes, no, you haven't. And the British guy, go, the British journalist goes, look, we've got this club called the Blue Note. And the Blue Note has changed club. And it's the first non-house music club in, in London. It's sold out every night. It's full of cultural people. It's fantastic. And the American guy goes, hey, we've got a club called the Blue Note in New York. And he went, yeah, but it's not like the club in London, is it? Let's be honest. And I just suddenly realised that we were the most successful and famous club in the world. You know, forget the Ministry yeah, of Sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. was a cultural experience yeah. every night of the week. You had Colcut, you had Talvin Singh, you had Goldie, you had James oh. Lavelle, you had yeah. every single one. David Holmes, Giles Peterson. 
all the biggest DJs in the Andrew Weatherall, they all had residencies, and and we said, or you could yeah. we do what you want, but just don't play techno. And that was what it was. People were sick of the totality of techno. We had yeah, dub yeah, reggae. Yeah. We had jazz funk. We had everything you can imagine, but we mm. didn't have techno. And that's what made it the <laughs> coolest place in the world. Sorry, yeah. I'm ranting oh, and blowing man. my own trumpet. No, no, no. It's oh, great. It's just beautiful. making me want to go out. Um, yeah, we've not got too much longer, have we? So should let's we talk about to, this album, shall we? Talk about this album, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Eddie, in, in uh, the in the start of the podcast uh, tell us which album you've brought along uh, to talk to us about today well I've known Paul Weller since I was 15 and, and I got to know Paul Weller because I went to interview him for my fanzine see everything everything goes back to the <laughs> fanzine but he was yeah. very very welcoming and he, I spent the day with him in his studio with the jab and uh, I got to know him very well I was his tour DJ for 10 years when when you know and, and I, I've made records I've made two or three records with Paul Weller and Acid Jazz over the years but I'm the only person he knows according to him that thinks this is the jam's best record and it's called <laughs> The Modern World and it's the jam's second album um, I'm a bit disappointed with the UK version because it doesn't have my big favourite hit on it which only came out on the American issue but everybody else seems to prefer All Mod Cons, which was the album after this. But to mm. me, The Modern World was the album that made me become a mod. I think it came out early 78. In fact, it came out late 77. So I wasn't, you know, I was just about getting into punk then. And by the time I came across the jam, I just thought they were another punk band. This record yeah, right. is a mod record. And it made me see beyond punk maybe you know the for example the inner sleeve there's a lambretta wiring diagram on the inner sleeve you know the songs <laughs> are about mod you know it's just but it's very yeah, right. it's very deep uh, it's just a brilliant record mm. and and i love weller for it actually That's, uh, it's 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 an amazing record. Thank you for introducing me to it. It was a new one on me because yeah, I think of the jam and I go straight to all mod cons and I think it's that classic thing, isn't it? That that has become the breakthrough and a lot that came after it has been presented as you know the essential jam. And this album does get lost in the conversation. Massively, but massively. There's so much great stuff on there. Like you know, um, London Girl going into the one that comes after that. I think is it. I need you. Um, incredible, and um, it it's interesting as well the framing around it in terms of this coming at the same time as punk because I think maybe that got a bit lost in my mind because I think of punk and I think of the Sex Pistols, I think of the Clash, and drawing from some of the same energy as punk, but it was distinct, well, wasn't it? Well, it was like it, a new it, thing. I like to use the phrase, it was part of punk, but not of punk. Because I interviewed mm. Paul in great detail last year for the Modcast podcast that I do, and you know, oh, it, first of all, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, and he comes he comes across as quite shy and quite 
Um, yeah. you know, I've interviewed him actually. And he, he's really him. difficult to interview. All right, both showing off. Fucking hell. Got to get that in there over Joe. Just got to remind him. But last year, he was like a different person. He was mm. engaging, relaxed, and he talked about yeah. everything. And, and, you know, and I asked yeah. him uh, about punk. And he said his life changed. The jam started in 74, but he said his life changed in. 76 when he saw he didn't go and see the Sex Pistols he went to see mm. the pretty mm. things at the Lyceum but the Sex Pistols mm. supported him mm. and most of the audience who went to see the pretty things who were a 60s mod band and by 76 they had you know they weren't much mod anymore but well I went to yeah, see them yeah. and he said most people walked out of the Sex Pistols but he saw them and he said that's it everything's got to change and that's exactly what mm. Joe mm. Strummer said when he was in the 101ers you know they saw the Sex Pistols and they thought well the 101ers have got to go you know, the clash kept were around yeah, the corner. Yeah, yeah. And and Weller said the same, yeah. but he kept the jam, but they became more punk focused, but they were never a really mm. a punk band. Punks either loved them or hated them. They hated them because they dressed like the Who yeah. or they loved them because they had fast <laughs> up tempo R and B punk thrashes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it's difficult. They were they were bridging and you can see why the Mod Revival happened if you listen to this album this is the album before the Mod Revival so all the kids that loved the jam at this point in time wanted to be like the jam they wanted to be mm. in bands like the jam not bands like the Sex Pistols bands like the mm. jam so they formed bands like the Chords and the Purple Hearts and Secret Affair and all they formed mod bands and they were younger than the jam so the reason I yeah, so yeah. I so related to mod bands in 1978 and 79 is because they were only a year older than me and I was only 15 <laughs> you know so these bands <laughs> yeah. I'm going to see are 16 yeah. years they're not even old enough to be in the pub <laughs> so that, that's basically what this album did for me it so changed, it changed my life yeah incredible um, and, and when you put it like that was the, the first time that you met Paul Weller was there any kind of like did it make you nervous did how did you feel because obviously if you, at that point being a young impressionable 15 year old and then you know fast forward <clears throat> you you've spent a lot of time with him in your in your life and your career so just tell us about like the initial when you met him how did that make you feel can you remember well, anything I, specific I, about that time i don't think i interviewed him until i was probably almost 17 so i didn't interview him until 19 probably 80 no, not 79 um, mm. um, I, I might well have been 17 and you know I'd seen the, I, it, overall I saw the jam 53 times and that's even not including wow. the Style Council and the Paul Weller band we go yeah. all over mm. Europe to see the jam you know getting a, you know how much there was something called the magic bus that went from Victoria Coach Station to Amsterdam and it was £15 return and you know you took a wow. sleeping bag You'd get to the, <laughs> the venue, which was probably the Paradiso, and Paul Weller's dad would let everybody in the sound check. So I'd met Weller before I interviewed him, but only because he was so good to his fan, you know, to the fans that were turning yeah, up all yeah. around Europe at sixteen. My mother let me go and sleep on a in a bus garage, you know, uh, because <laughs> they didn't care. They didn't just go do what you want, son. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. So so Weller was. <laughs> He was very approachable to fans. He was just a bit sticky and prickly with the media. And that's yeah. because I think he had some bad experiences with the media. Even going back to fanzines, there's a famous story where he burnt a copy of Sniffing Glue on stage at the Marquee um, because they had coated him off, you know, for being who do you mm. think he is dressing like right, that? Yeah. 
you know. Yeah, it, it does seem like it was a constant that there was this slight prickliness between like Weller and like the media and stuff. And that's interesting that you say about what he was like recently. Joe and I uh, have talked on the pod about Weller's most, you know, recent albums and on Sunset just being like yeah. an incredible, incredible piece of work and just the way that he's forged ahead. And it, it feels very mod the way that he's been all about kind of looking forward in a way as well as kind of you know reflecting on Jimmy the the most difficult thing about Paul Mm. is that he won't look back now he has probably Mm. the best catalogue of songs of any British songwriter of the last Mm. 60 years I don't care what anybody says find me a better songwriter that's had more hits more relevant songs he was writing songs about me and people like me when he was 18 years old you know Eaton Rifles Down in the Tube Station these these are life changing songs but the thing is he don't like looking back so for years he wouldn't do a jam song in his his solo set he wouldn't even do a Style Council song in his solo set Um, and I I I admire him for that. Now, recently, he's become a little bit more more approachable. He'll do th- maybe two or three jam songs in his set, yeah, and he'll yeah, do yeah. maybe two Style Council songs in his set, but he's always moved forward. I remember mm. when, you know, he, he said, he's very honest in the podcast, in, in the modcast that I did with him last year, he said, I thought it was over, you know. I did mm. I did a couple of gigs after, after the Style Council split, and we pulled 200 people and I just thought that's it it's done mm. but yeah. what did he do yeah. he released yeah. that album the Paul Weller movement it's an incredible mm. record yeah. and, then, yeah. and everybody yeah. I tried to sign yeah. I tried to sign Paul Weller as a solo artist as part mm. of my deal with London Records where you know I had the brand new heavies Jamiroquai all the rest of it um, and Mm. I said to the boss of London, you know, you can take the label, we'll do a joint deal with you, but these are the bands I want to bring with me. Paul Weller, Terry Callier, uh, the Jamiroquai, you've already got the brand new heavies, etc., etc. And they said, yes, mm. but we don't want Weller. And I said, well, why? And they said, he's finished. Wow. And I said, mate, he isn't finished. And then what happens? He releases Wildwood, his biggest selling record. Yeah, that, yeah, he, yeah. But yeah. getting back to the new album, it's a remarkable piece of work, you know. He's always moving mm. forward, it's and that, yeah. that's what mod is about—moving forward mm. while looking yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I was—I was, I was going to ask. Um, I know we've not got you for too much longer, but I was going to ask what you thought about um, looking ahead. And I did notice the compilations you've done with Martin Freeman. I was really enjoying those. Um, I think we released them Thank once. Thank you. Yeah, Jazz on the Corner. Jazz on the Corner Yeah, I was two. really, really loving those. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, the second one. And Soul on the Corner as well. I was wondering what you thought about, it does seem to have been these mod revivals in particular and these kind of subculture revivals. What do you think of the history for it? Do you think we're due another one? Do you think it can possibly happen again? Do you think that we can not, get that sort of same groundswell of interest not with involving a new generation? Kids. Not involving kids, mm. no. I mean, there are, don't get me wrong. There are young kids that are mods. There's no doubt about mm. it. We The yeah. modcast, you know, yeah. this, this thing, the modcast we do, isn't just a podcast. We do about 10 parties a year, or we did before mm. this. Um, yeah. All dayers, riverboats, all nighters, you know, whatever weekenders Mm. and there's always kids from 17 to 70 you know there's always youngsters there but they are in the minority they don't they they don't get exposure to things like this Mm. you know there is a a a groundswell of kids that love northern soul but 
they're probably mm. people whose parents like Northern Soul rather than the other way round. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, the average kid yeah. in the street, yeah. you go Northern Soul, and they go, what's that? You know, they don't care <laughs> and they won't hear yeah. it. You know, they won't hear anything anywhere because everything's become about algorithms. And, you know, yeah, if you yeah. you want the most number of ABC One listeners you can get on your station, you have a computer to mm. program that station. I read something shocking yesterday that Warner Music, right? First of all, their top five executives pay themselves £125 million between them, right? A year. That's the first shocking thing. God. The second yeah, shocking right. thing is the majority of their artists are signed by an algorithm. So they have a computer program oh that looks God. at thousands and thousands of social media people and their songs and the way their songs are written and the, the similarity yeah, of their yeah, songs yeah. to Beyonce's songs or to Kenny West's songs yeah. or whatever. And then they go, we'll have that one. It used to be about talent. Now it's about, well, you know what it's like. It's shocking. Pop music today is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. nursery rhyme simplicity for morons. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> pretending, <laughs> pretending to be cool. That's the worst thing. They think they're cool, yeah. mate. Ed Sheeran yeah. ain't cool. Ed Sheeran is a <laughs> is a talentless hobbit for fuck's sake, and he's the biggest selling artist in the world. He's not fit to clean Bob Dylan's shoes, mate. Anyway, end of rant. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why there'll never be another youth explosion again, unless it's. Drill, or you know, and drill's probably out mm. old fashioned now. There'll be something else, but they'll yeah, be so small. Yeah. You're right, though, it's SoundCloud rappers and trap and things like and, that. And they'll be, they'll be bought up, they'll be. be, they'll be bought up and coerced by the mainstream before they've even put out their first proper record. So, no, in the mm. old days, people used to grow up with an independent bent getting to a stage where mm. they'd perfected their craft. Now, majors will go, we'll have that. Oh, here's, here's 50 grand, shut up, give it to me. And that's basically what will happen. So you'll never yeah. get development yeah. again. It's over. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it just shows, uh, to be honest, it just shows how important the kind of role you're still playing is and like the acid jazz is still playing to form a link to that and, culture and of fanzines and, yeah, and the radio station and just to sort of, to keep that stuff alive and and yeah as you say it's kind of <laughs> to have come from you kind of bunging someone a fiver to uh to get your foot in the door to <laughs> thank you to basically robots signing yeah. signing <laughs> bands um is quite a, a journey to go on but um yeah it's good that you're uh i mean i couldn't i couldn't fucking believe when i read that yesterday robots <laughs> signing bands i mean could it get any worse and the worst thing is contemporary pop music is based on nursery rhymes because that's the easiest way to get what the Germans call an earworm it's the easiest way to get in your head is la 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 and so anything like that yeah. listen to American pop music and it's all written by computer basically with the same things you know it's the same hooks every time the same key changes yeah. because they know it works yeah. with the human uh, brain basically it's a shocker <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs> so uh, just quickly before uh, we have to let you go um, you said that Paul Weller said that you are the only person who thinks that this is the best jam album yeah do you have any recollections of what he thinks about this album uh, he doesn't. He doesn't particularly like it. I think. Oh really? So, so what? No, it's it's the difficult second album. You always hear this in A and R circles. The difficult second album. A band have had success with the first album. They find it yeah. really difficult to concentrate on the second album. So so 
they made this album. After this album came out, the band pretty much fell apart. The third album mm. famously was trashed three quarters of the way through. I think Gary Crowley, the present the DJ is the only person that has a cassette yeah. copy of the real third album but then Weller just halfway yeah. through went this is not what I want to do stop it and he's mm. very good at that once he makes a decision he don't go back on it same when he split the jam you know at mm. their peak why would you do that they're the biggest band in the yeah. country because I didn't, yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, feel it yeah. I didn't feel it I didn't want to do it anymore done end of story <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing about Paul Weller yeah but also the beautiful thing about being able to develop and not be a uh you know one of these robot picked things is you have time to feel things and work things out and use your intuition yeah and that's and that's what is now going to be sadly missing unless of course you listen to totally wired radio am i correct well you've made a good point there uh it's an internet radio station you're well look we play every kind of music we just signed up our first afrobeat show today because that's a jazz Acid Jazz has just done a deal with the most important Afrobeat label called Alberica Stores uh, out of Benin in Nigeria. And it's Benin, Benin. yeah, Benin in Nigeria. And um, we're releasing their entire back catalogue from 72, I think, onwards. And it's just beautiful. So this station does everything from poetry. We don't do heavy metal, but I would. We just, I even think we've got an EDM show which took me back when I discovered that because I obviously haven't listened to it. But anyway, yeah, thanks for mentioning it. TonyWineRadio.com, you can find it on the internet. Thanks. Amazing. Um, one other thing, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our mutual friend and, and Chalkers. The first time I, I saw huh? Chalkers. Yeah, Chalkers. So uh, basically, uh, other than bumping into you completely at random in a, in a burger bar in Hamburg, Next, um, next to a brothel <laughs> not that I'd come out of the brothel yeah. it was 11 in the morning <laughs> I got my story straight I was with, I was with my wife <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, noticed, I noticed that Joe did say that bit yeah 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 but, um, I came to a, a night that you and Dean Chalkley did together which I found very fascinating uh, where you were basically almost going tit for tat record for record you'd play a record and this is something that since then me and my wife do in our kitchen yeah. I'll play a song and then they'll be like my wife will be like I've got one I'm going to play this and then and then and that's how you ran this night and I just thought that was such a beautiful thing to see well, and it, I hope that we get to do that again it's a very interesting way of, of DJing because you're reacting mm. to what the, he's reacting to you you're reacting to him or her you know and I, I've I, if I can I always try and DJ like that now because I'm old and I get bored mm. you know I've got a very short <laughs> attention span so when you've got to react to what Dean Chalkley's playing with something better and then he's got to react to what you're playing with something <laughs> better it just makes a very exciting night you know and, and I still Still do that whenever and it I was can. So exciting, and there was so much like competition. There was like almost like a battle element to it. Which yeah, it's really... like sound clash. You know, yeah. sound clash culture, isn't it? Well, from, in, you know, in Germany, reggae and in know, Germany they have and stuff like that. Well, we do play a little bit of reggae. I've got a fantastic mm. mix, a, a little reggae mix which I do live. Which anyway, we won't talk about that. But the Germans call it ping pong. <laughs> isn't that sweet? Ping pong. <laughs> when we call it double decking. Um, but yeah, the Germans yeah. call it ping pong um, yeah well look thanks guys uh, I've really enjoyed ranting on about yeah, the collapse of the music no, industry no no it's been amazing we could uh, talk and talk mate that well, we could, fantastic um, it's normally me that does the interviewing so to get interviewed by someone yeah, I think to be I, on the other side of it I'm thinking I've probably said too much I've probably ranted on a bit too much but no, hey you no, know no, I never no, get interviewed no, you're brilliant. perfect great stuff you've been the perfect guest okay thank you boys JJ's Album Club 
There we go. Eddie Pillar there, um, an absolute hero. Uh, so really, really funny. A real laugh. And I would massively recommend um, his radio station, uh, Totally Wired uh, Radio. Yeah. It's um, They play some some incredible music, some total tunes. Um, it's run in a really lovely, warm, slightly ramshackle way. Like, I think, like, I've, I've been listening to it a couple of times and, you know, the sound's just completely cut out and, like, it's just like Eddie swearing in the background as they try to sort something out. Um, which, you know, as, as yeah, as... as it's, got, the, it's definitely got charm. Yeah, as the, uh, as the custodians of a uh, similarly ramshackle uh, podcast... Um, I, I definitely felt seen and enjoyed it. But he was an absolute delight. And um, yeah, yeah, what a dude. What about, what What a story. What, what and a, also, uh... if you ever get a chance to see him DJ live, it's one of my favourite nights mm, ever. Uh, yeah. Him and friend of the show, uh, Dean Chalkley. Um, I was, yeah, as you were describing that, I was gutted that I wasn't there for that because that sounds right up my street. Oh, God, to go out again. Oh, also, a really good um, a kind of book on mod fanzines called mm. Modzines that uh, Eddie yeah. Co wrote is really great. So go check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really good. Um, when it's all done, Joe, North and Soul Night, don't care which one. Maybe get suited up. We're going to yeah. properly go for it. Yeah. The suits are on ice, they're ready to go. Yeah. I don't think that's the same, but they are ready. Straight straining into those suits, probably. <laughs> almost certainly. Yeah, ripped, only because. Almost certainly ripped the seat of our trousers trying to do some. <laughs> only because I've been, uh, you know, I've been doing weights. You know, I've got traps Oh, yeah, that's now. true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm a trap artist. Yeah. I said, um, you know, when I when I said the, the suit's ripping, it was from the enormous arms and the biceps just kind of bulging out as you mm. kind of, you know, yeah. come crashing down the street. Yeah, it's it's a, it's going to be great to see you emerge as a kind of pro wrestler. Hulky hunk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, Jimmy, have you got any musical uh, homework for me this week? Oh, yeah. I should have some. I've got, I've got a couple of bits. hell I've been listening to. Um... Oh yeah, uh, Becca Mankari. Okay. Uh, she's got an album called The Greatest Part, which went out, which came out last year, which I completely missed. But I heard the single Hunter. Um, I think it was probably being played on Six Music or somewhere. Um, and yeah, it's really nice, really good. Um, and what else? Uh, New Django Django. Thought it was okay. Yes, I was going to say that. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, 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 it's nice, isn't it? There's a couple where I'm like, that doesn't need to go there, but in general, it's really good. And <laughs> yeah. just, it's so uplifting and great. Yeah, yeah. It's great for a little indoors. Still just growing. listening to Goat Girl. I, I think we, we mentioned it last time, but it's yeah, such a so good, good album on all fours. Absolutely fantastic. Um, um, yeah, yeah, that's probably it from me. Yeah. Did I tell you about Corey Hansen before? I don't know if you did. I don't think so. He's got a new three-song single out. I don't know what that mm. is. It's not okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, called Pale Horse Rider. Oh, okay. And it's really beautiful okay. and lovely. And also, uh, you know Pottery? Yes. Yeah. Bloody love Pottery. Yeah. 
the oh. drummer, I believe it's the drummer mm. from Pottery, Paul so, Jacobs. Oh, okay. And he's uh, he's got a new single out, Half Rich Loner. Oh, cool. And he's really good. Okay. And he, yeah. All right, I'll do those. Really Send me those as well. But yeah, Pottery, yeah. you mentioning Pottery has made me think. Again, I'm very much in the mode of um, just kind of... Uh, filling a fantasy social calendar for uh, whenever we can actually do stuff but they're a band that I really want to go and see they're on mm. the list right then until next right, time boy. thank you for listening nice, nice uh, one week, mate we should say uh, we've got Lady Blackbird we have yeah and what an amazing singer what a presence yeah she's completely yeah. blown away by a lot of fun last week even though she did fun. slag me off for drinking cause night but <laughs> he's uh, mentioned it again it's somehow somehow he's mentioned it again um yeah really really good fun again uh, she's a she's a really exciting up-and-coming artist and uh she was an absolute riot i don't know if uh, I mean, we'll save this for chatting a bit beforehand next time, but I feel like we were both slightly flustered by just her presence, her presence. in a nice yeah. way. And she's like a real firecracker. And yeah, it was really, really great. And she's a, yeah. she's, she's a real talent. Well, a lot of the, like, Destined for big of things. One, of the one to watch in 2021. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally justified. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's all to come next time. Give us a like, a follow, subscribe, all that stuff. Bye. See ya.